and I had the opportunity to go to the American Bankers Association meeting and put on a seminar called Bring Love Back to Business. And I I did it at their meeting, and I was so nervous because I thought, you can't use the word love in business. And I thought, what the nonsense. I mean, that's crazy. And after the session was over, it, it was one of the highest graded of all the sessions they had at the meeting. So there's a, not only is there a need, people understand this concept. Everybody wants to feel like they're loved and respected. You know, so let's, let's show it to them. Let's give it to them. Let's do that. And then in, the, in response, we're going to get more back than we ever give. This is On Deck, conversations about entrepreneurship with Les Deck. My guest today is Dennis Walsh, CEO of Money Concepts International, uh, and he is a second generation CEO. I wanted to have him on, uh, particularly because of that. Uh, I sometimes believe that being a second-generation CEO is harder than starting a company from scratch. Dennis has uh, been my friend and uh, client for many years. During that time, I've been able to watch him lead and grow this company uh, rapidly. It is a broker-dealer, which uh, uh, Dennis will explain to us what that is. It's a financial company. And uh, Dennis, welcome today. Hey, thanks, Les. Great being with you. Let me explain this industry term broker-dealer because I think it's a crazy name. But it goes back to the 1933 and 1934 Act of the SEC. Essentially, what we are is we're a securities firm. We work with independent financial advisors that has have to be registered with a FINRA firm, FINRA being our regulatory body. So they get registered with a broker-dealer, which is us, so that they can place transactions on behalf of their clients. We're also a registered investment advisor under the 1940 Act, which means that we can work with clients on a fee basis as opposed to a commission basis, which is the traditional broker-dealer arena. And so our advisors have access to both avenues, fee-based planning, fee-based transactions, or commission-based, whatever meets the client's needs and objectives. Okay. And how many years has uh, the, the firm been in business? Well, we got started in 1979 by my father, and I joined in 81. So it's about 44 years now. You've been there almost since the inception. Yes. Um, tell me first why you joined the firm, and then uh, secondly, uh, begin to describe the uh, major steps that uh, were involved in bringing you up to the level that you are now as a CEO? Well, I'll tell you, I had no interest in following in my father's footsteps when I was in college because his background was in insurance. And he started out as an insurance agent and ended up being the president of an insurance company and was very successful. I, on the other hand, wanted to be an investment advi- uh, investment analyst and uh, go to work for a Putnam or Oppenheimer Fidelity and help them manage money. And, and in the meantime, he had uh, caught wind of this 
of this new concept called financial planning and putting customers ahead of ahead of companies. And the idea behind it was that uh, if you could be an independent and you could work for the customer or the client and go and shop all the products from the whole world of products, you could do a better job for your client and 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 you could create a firm that would do exactly that then then you would be really meeting a need that was desperate uh, out there in the public and so he left his position as president of a major insurance company and started in, on this venture of creating a financial planning marketing firm and and creating a broker dealer when he moved into that direction I really started paying attention to what he was doing because now he was moving towards my area, which is the investment side, which I was fascinated with. And I remember reading his mailing list, oddly enough. He would send me the mailing list he'd send to everybody, and he would talk about just how poorly people do with their money and how they need financial guidance. And that's what he wanted to provide was financial guidance to the everyday American, not just the super wealthy but the you know the middle middle America, if you will, and that kind of started getting me excited. I started thinking about what I was doing, saying, "Gee whiz, I'm going to study forever. I'm going to get a degree, and I'm going to go to work for a mutual fund company and help them pick stocks and bonds, and maybe make a, a little bit of a contribution to profits for this large company." Meanwhile, my father's out there really affecting people's lives on a positive basis. You know, I'm. I, I think I'm a little interested in what he's doing, and I I might want to do that too. So that's how I that's how I got involved. I ended up calling him and saying, you know, Dad, I'm paying attention to your newsletters, and I'm kind of interested. And he said, Well, I'll tell you what, you come down and we'll talk about it. <laughs> so, okay, sounds like your dad. Yeah, I was I was able to know him for a few years as well. Okay, would you still characterize your um, uh, your passion and your um, and the business, the clients of uh, many concepts, as uh, Middle America? Yeah, I would say you know, I would say definitely Middle America. Um, I love I love working with uh, people of all stripes. I I I don't have I don't have a particular uh, one niche, but. I would say, our, in general, most of our clients are middle America, upper middle middle America. They're not they're not the one percent. They're not the one tenth of one percent, but they're the, the vast majority uh, of Americans. Okay. Now, you were there within three years of the start. I assume the company was um, already headed for success when you got there. Well, maybe not. Yeah, I can tell you my opinion, and my father would say this too, is nobody ever makes it uh, without going through hard times. There's a couple of times where we barely got through by the skin of our teeth. And uh, that's that I think is a real valuable lesson to any, any entrepreneur is to those hard times is what makes you. It makes you stronger, makes you tougher, makes you uh, more creative. And it really focuses your mind on what you what you need to do to get to the next stage. And so, while I did not enjoy them, I think they were really valuable learning lessons. We had a couple of those, and uh, and I think that's true with any firm that makes it. Or most, you know? I have to agree with you. Yeah. yeah. 
any as far as I'm concerned. So you came into the company, um, you were um, driven, um, you uh, uh, had a desire to be analytical. So what role did you take at first? Well, at first, I was the guy who did all did, did all the due diligence on all the different investment vehicles, insurance products, you name it. Whatever we were selling, I would be the one analyzing it and, and, and putting that together. And I spent a lot of time doing that, and I enjoyed it. But you know what I found is that I enjoyed working with the with the uh, independent advisors much more than I did doing the analytical work. You know, uh, and I I got a lot of pleasure out of working with them and helping them help their clients. And before long, I started moving in that direction where I was just, I was a resource for them and helping them uh, work with their clients and joint calls and that kind of thing. So that, that, that was, uh, that's where I really found a, a, a deep passion. And I love working with entrepreneurs. They're just my kind of people. So I enjoy that, uh, that experience of working with them and helping them be successful. Okay. That is a point of differentiation between you and uh, the big wirehouses is that uh, you're working with independent entrepreneurial people uh, in all markets. Would you further differentiate that and describe the kind of people that uh, you and your father sought out to work with? Yeah, I think, uh, when you're looking at the financial services arena, especially back then versus now, back then it was very fragmented. You had insurance guys that sold life insurance and annuities, and you had uh, brokers who sold stocks and bonds, stockbrokers, and you had tax people who did taxes, and you had banks who did loans and savings accounts and CDs, and everything was very mixed up. And in this world that we're in today, and I, we were at the forefront of this, is that we wanted to create a a one-stop shop, if you will, so that you could get all of your things that you needed and get them coordinated instead of getting them just disjointed. Get somebody that looks over them all and gets them all coordinated for you on a holistic basis. And so, you know, that's that's what we do. That's who we work with. We work with these uh, financial advisors. Some of them came from stockbroker backgrounds. Some came from uh, with a tax background. Some came from a uh, insurance background, and and they they come in and and offer a real holistic financial planning. And by being able to do that, you're able to do so much more for your client than uh, than we have been able to do. We're able to do in the past. And and I think it's desperately needed because what happens so often is that somebody goes one place for one thing, another place for another thing, and you're working across purposes or no one's looking at the whole picture. And that's what you need. You need somebody to look at the whole picture. And that's what our guys do. Thank you. I, I've known uh, of how you uh, go out and, and find new um, area presidents and new firms uh, each year. And that generally means growth to you because uh, the firms that represent you tend to stay with you for a long time. There's not a leaky bucket there. No, that's... Um, why is that? Why is that? Well, I, I think, number one, and I think we have a culture that is 
that is sound and it, we are steeped in culture. We believe culture trumps everything. And so our culture is one of sharing. And so when I'm like today, I have somebody in that I'm talking to. And one of the things I say to them is our culture is about sharing. So if you want to come to Money Concepts and you want to be an island onto your own and you don't want to share and tell tell your successes, your failures, you know, your hopes, your dreams and, and share with other advisors of what's working for you and what's not, then go somewhere else. Because our culture is one of sharing. And if you want to learn from others, if you want to be a part of a greater whole, if you want to be a contributor, then then we fit. So we have a very unique culture. So people that join us tend to stay. You know, we have something like 50% of our advisors that have been with us, you know, 20 years or more. We have third generation advisors. This is not something you hear about in the industry. And our advisors are very much like family to us. They're very important. They are our client. I think the key to us is that we understand that our client isn't the end client. Our client is the advisor. That's who we work for. My job is to make sure that we get as many obstacles out of the way of our advisors as possible so that they can work with their clients on a professional basis and do the things they need to do to help their clients reach their goals. And instead of doing all the nonsense that uh, it's far too often now with the increased regulations and so forth that you end up having to do. We still have to get, we still have to meet all the regulations, but let's try to streamline things. Let's try to get it in in an organized fashion so, so that they can focus on what they do best, and that's work with clients. In the uh, history of many entrepreneurial companies, they can point to an event or a program that uh, provided a, a real breakthrough in success. Do you have that, or is it just a, a gradual and steady build? I would say a real break. There are two things that I'll mention. First, we had other shareholders, and then in 1990, we bought out all the other shareholders, and then it was just the Walsh family that were shareholders. We didn't have any third-party shareholders. We had an insurance company that was a part shareholder and so forth. I think that was a major, major turning point because it just unleashed us to do what we really wanted to do, and that's focus on our advisors and not have to answer to quarterly earnings and all that nonsense. We didn't have to worry about what our expenses were this month. If we wanted to make an investment this month that wouldn't pay dividends for a year, we could, all right, because we were thinking long-term. We could think long-term and build long-term, and that was a major turning point. The second thing that happened was right after that, and, and it was because of it, we were able to move into the investment advisory side of the business where we were doing fee-based planning, fee-based asset management, and that was a major um, uh, change that has paid huge dividends down the road. As people get older and wealthier, they're not really that excited about paying a commission every time a tr- uh, uh, you buy or sell an investment. You know, They'd much rather have the advisor be on the same side of the table with them, earning a share, a little percentage of whatever the revenue growth is, as opposed to getting nickeled and dimed every time uh, a stock gets traded. So those two things, I think, were the real key turning points 
looking back. And so not vir- not virtually all, but most of your business is fee-based business now, huh? Yes. I would say roughly 70% of our revenue is residual revenue from happy clients, you know, not not related to the buy or sell of any particular investment or insurance company. So during your entire time with the company, very often there are also uh, key challenges that you have to overcome uh, that uh, could have been fatal but weren't. So is that part of what uh, you faced as you brought this firm up? Yeah, there's there's been a couple of those, and as I mentioned before, there's a couple of times where you make it through the skin of your teeth. And my father always said he was grateful that God didn't show him the whole picture of what lied ahead because he might not have taken that road, you know, so, <laughs> because it was a little more difficult than you to ha- happen. And I think that's true. I think every entrepreneur ought to realize that we have this vision that things are going to work out just perfectly, and they aren't. They never have, and they never will. So things are going to happen to you, and it's not whether they do or don't happen. It's how you respond. You know, you're going to get knocked down. Are you going to get back up? And if you keep getting back up, you're going to win. But if you if you get knocked down and you stay down, it's over. So that that does that those times happen. We had that in this shoot. It wasn't that long ago, 2008 and 2009, where we had the credit freeze, and all of a sudden, boom. The whole world stopped for a while. We had a COVID situation where the whole world stopped for a little while. You know, I think what's happened, you know, for me anyhow, is that I, these things, these things, since they've happened before, I expect them to happen again, and I'm better prepared for them mentally and 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 financially as well. So these are things that you have to prepare for because nothing is ever going to go exactly the way you want. There's always going to be obstacles, and that's why you get paid the big bucks is to ho- overcome these obstacles and keep moving forward, and not lose momentum and not lose your passion. What do they say? Success is going from failure to failure and not losing passion until you finally hit your success. Good thought. Good thought. The company remains a family-owned firm. You have a number of siblings, actually, who work there with you, and some that don't, but uh, uh, they're all uh, owners and several of them involved in the company. So how's it been to work with uh, your brothers and sisters? Well, I tell you, that's that's been an interesting thing. It was fun. It was a lot of fun working with my father from the point of view of being able to learn from him. There was times where it wasn't fun because he was my father and he could chew me out better than anybody on earth. So <laughs> siblings are a little different because uh, I am the oldest of the of the group that work here. So, and I am the CEO. But we've had it's been a lot. It's been very enjoyable. And I got to tell you, you know, I know at the at their heart, their the best interest is the company. That's what they they have. They have the best interest of the company. And they all want to fulfill the, our original mission, and they want to maintain that culture. So that's been great. It's been really good. My son's now in the business. I have a nephew in the business. Uh, I'm very excited about the future, and I'm very excited about the contribution we all get to make. Because this is, this is, you know, to me, we're stewards here. We're stewards of a tradition. Yeah. We're stewards of a, a, a 
of a culture, and and uh, we want to we want to look at it from the point of view of stewardship as opposed to ownership. If you know what I mean, there's a big difference. Yeah, I want to impress upon our listeners that this is a very large a business family. The ripples go out in. Uh, so many different directions. There are hundreds of independent reps. I don't know how many hundred right now, but uh, throughout the United States, large footprint. Uh, uh, I, I should say North America, I suppose. Yes. Uh, a large footprint. Yes. Uh, so we're, we're talking about uh, the uh, influence that Dennis uh, embodies uh, going, uh, rippling through a, a large business community. Um, so at a point in time, um, it became obvious that uh, you were going to be the um, heir apparent to the CEO seat. Um, and maybe gradually, perhaps not gradually, uh, it became your responsibility to um, guide the business strategy. Tell us about that. Was that easy? What was easy about it? Was that difficult? What was difficult? Well, in the beginning, it was pretty easy because my father tried to make it as easy as possible. And that was, he said, okay, from now on, you're, you and I are going to have to agree on every major decision or we, we don't do it. And, uh, and so he, he let me make the decisions and run them by him. And it was great. It was easy. It's a piece of cake. The easiest decisions I ever made because I had him to, to, to uh, say yes or no. And uh, when he was, uh, he, he had Parkinson's, and when he got really sick and ill, and I was now fully in charge, that was a that was a major shift. All of a sudden, I didn't have him, and those decisions were mine. And I I, I just remember thinking how much easier it is to be a right hand man than it is to be the one who has to make the decisions. And I remember talking to him about it when, you know, because he would, he did have lots of moments of clarity, but he could not work uh, a full day any by any stretch. And I said to him, how do you know you're making the right decision? He says, you never really know. You know that it's the right thing to do right now. So you do it. And if you find out that there was, a, you made a bad decision, change it. Do it fast. Change it. As soon as you discover you made the wrong decision, don't stubbornly hang on to it. And I, so I took that to heart. And uh, and I, I think if I'm making the right decisions, if I'm making the decisions for the right reasons, and for the right reasons for me is I want to benefit the advisor because they're, they're my client. If I'm making decisions that's going to benefit my my advisor, then I'm okay. That's And if it doesn't work, I'm going to change. It's not a problem. So that's how I overcame that. But that was a really, really weird feeling when all of a sudden I didn't have him to to run every question through or whatever, uh, even though I had years of being number two. So, Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he was prescient. Uh, that idea of uh, fail fast, fail forward became very popular yep. after that. He didn't describe it that way. No, he way, didn't. But he... <laughs> Same idea. It's exactly the same idea. That was just from his yeah. experience over the years. Yeah. What do you consider some of your best strategic decisions since uh, you have uh, taken on the awesome responsibility of 
running the show? Well, I think the, the very best, from a business point of view, the best decision that we made was going it was going independent and then also creating that uh, investment advisory uh, firm and doing the fee based. The, uh, I would uh, we also at at a, at a uh, stage invested in the creation of another broker dealer that works primarily in the 403b business, which is a particular niche for uh, pensions, and that's that's gone great guns. But if I if I if you ask me what really is making a difference and still makes a difference to me is how how we reinforce force the culture and now we do it with a thing we call CBI and we we preach CBI having a committed benevolent interest bring a committed committed benevolent interest to every engagement with every client engagement every engagement with the advisor we have to be thinking about how is it we can help how can we be of service it's that stewardship model and I really believe that, that that is permeating the culture now. We have been doing this for five, six, seven years, I guess. And uh, it's been fun for me because I love it. I love talking about love what you do. You bring love to what you do and you're going to be successful. It's just that simple. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can, if you're going to try to squeeze the last nickel out of every deal, you're going to be miserable. So let's bring love to what you do, and let's focus on doing the right thing. And then we can go home at night, and when we put our heads down, we're very content. We feel very, we feel like we've been of service. So that's what it's all about, being of service. And uh, I think that's that. That's what I'm most proud of recently. And I had the opportunity to go to the American Bankers Association meeting and put on a seminar called bring love back to business and I did, oh. I did it at their meeting and I was so nervous because I thought you can't use the word love in business and I thought no. what well, the nonsense I mean that's crazy and after the session was over it, it was one of the highest uh, graded of all the sessions they had at the meeting so there's a not only is there a need people understand this concept Everybody wants to feel like they're loved and respected, you know. So let's let's show it to them. Let's give it to them. Let's do that, and then in, the, in response, we're going to get more back than we ever give. Very good. Yeah, it's very interesting uh, and courageous. As a matter of fact, even the word benevolent, let alone love, yeah. the word benevolent uh, doesn't have much of a place in business <laughs> until you put it there. Well, you know, that was my shorthand for instead of saying love, I said committed benevolent interest, which to me is whenever you express a committed benevolent interest in someone, you're expressing love, right? And the purest platonic form of love. And so that was my way around the word love using CBI. Interesting. Okay. Let's look at the future for a little bit. You have now produced really significant growth in the company and you can give us a percentage if you want to but i know it's significant i've watched it yeah you're looking toward the future what are you becoming what is the company becoming what will you do differently well i i personally i think the the future looks extremely extremely bright i mean we asked we're in a little hiccup now with the markets and all that but those things never last and uh 
So, but what I do think is that we have, I'm at the peak of the baby boom, 1958. That's when I was born. I'm 64 years old, right? The peak is going to turn 65 this year. All the 60, 1958 turning 65. That means you've got the biggest population bubble in history moving into retirement or starting to pass away. So think about the amount of funds that are necessary to be managed for those retirement years. Think about the demand for that. And then think about the demand for estate planning on the other end as they start to check out and they want to pass those assets down to their kids and grandkids. And personally, I think the baby boomers want to pass more than assets down. They want to pass their values down as well. And so what... the that is an enormous opportunity for financial advisors to to pitch in to help to help them accomplish those goals the retirement goals the estate goals the you know and who cares about estate taxes forget about estate taxes just making sure the money goes to who you want when you want with as little interference as possible is a challenge okay and so we can help uh, so many people and the demand for it's so high that I think the next 10, 15 years will be the best 10, 15 years in this business ever. Uh, and and so my concern is I want to bring in the next generation of advisors because uh, that's what's needed today in our industry. We're, we're getting older. You know, the average age is close to my age. And we need we need to replace a lot of those advisors. So that's part of our focus is how do we bring in quality young people into a profession where you can really help people and do very well yourself in the process? You know, this is a win-win field where if you if you the more you help others, the more you help you, and you got to do others first. But you that's the way it works. So I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about the younger people as they're coming up. I, I'm, I, you know, I used to make fun of the millennials like everybody else. Now I find them to be an extremely, extremely hardworking, creative group of people, and uh, I'm very excited about the future, knowing that they're they're stepping up and stepping into the shoes. And I like to remind all my boomer friends what they said about us. <laughs> in 1970 so so uh but i think i think we're going to be in very good hands with that generation as they take over and the next generation here right right i have a lot of confidence in uh, in that age group as well so looking back take a retrospective for a moment uh is there anything that you would do differently yeah definitely you know, we one of the problems that we had is we were kind of successful right out of the box. Which what happens when when in any business when that happens is suddenly people realize that you can get things done and opportunities come knocking on your door like crazy. And sometimes you go chasing these stupid opportunities instead of focusing on the one that you're supposed to focus on. And so we did. We got off on a couple of tangents and. And it cost us, I think, and in the long run, we'd be further ahead if we had just focused on doing what we set out to do. So that we try to laser focus what we're, what we're all about, and we're not deviating from it. So we don't, 
we don't get off course. And I would recommend to any entrepreneur, find your find your path, find your passion, and don't deviate. No matter what what somebody comes dancing dollar signs around you, don't pay any attention. Focus on what it is you want to get done. Because everybody wants you to ch- stop what you're doing to do what makes them money. And so you gotta you gotta realize that and just stay focused. Excellent, excellent advice. I, I would point out that uh, the uh, specialty firm that's uh, headquartered along with you there that does the institutional investment actually has its own management. It's not a distraction to you. It runs itself. Right? Yes, and that's the key. That was you know that was us getting smart, right? Where instead of us trying to be all things to all people, we're going to stick to what we do. And we have this specialty firm, and we have special we have people who have that background that are running it, and they're managing it, and uh, we're a shareholder in it. And so that's that's the way you can expand if you want to expand. But if it's going to divert, if it diverted my attention, that would that would be bad because the truth is my firm deserves all my attention. My advisors deserve one hundred percent of my attention, and that's where I'm going to use my energies. Okay. Dennis, your level of commitment, your level of experience and uh, knowledge of what you're doing um, puts you in a situation now that you're, uh, you're more powerful as an executive and, uh, and a contributor to the business than you've ever been. Um, yet, people of your age begin to look toward the future and what they may do. Are you thinking about that and um, what might be your uh, personal exit strategy as CEO? And when does that uh, uh, manifest for you? Well, you know, it was just a year and five months ago, my wife passed unexpectedly. You know, just had a heart incident, no no warning, nothing. She was as fit as a fiddle. And so, yes, the idea that I need to have a succession strategy in place is something that that's been driven home to me in a way that couldn't be any other way. Um, and because I understand that every day is a gift and there's no, I, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. So I want this, I want this to continue. I want this legacy to continue. I feel like I'm a steward of it. I don't own it. I want to pass this on and have it to continue. So I have put in place what would happen if I should unexpectedly die. I've also thought through the process, okay, how do I start training somebody to take over? Because this is a this is not something you can just do overnight. You know, uh and and so if you really want to learn 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 it right, you need to do it like I did, where I got five, ten years, ten years really, working with my father very closely and developing it. And I feel like I have at least another 10 years to go. I, I don't see myself retiring. I see myself as playing a smaller and smaller role while other people pick up the, the slack, if that makes makes any sense. If something happens, I have people who can step in and I feel very confident about, at least in the interim, they can step in while we develop uh, younger younger talent. But that's, that's the, the strategy right now. All right. One or two things you might tell uh, a beginning entrepreneur who's uh, just going into business for themselves. Well, it's it sounds silly, but you got to get cash flow up. 
You know, it's just rule one. If without cash flow, nothing else matters. So you got to get cash flow up. You got to focus on that. If you're going to wait for everything to come together perfectly before you start, you're never going to start. And so you got to start imperfectly. And if you have the confidence in yourself that you will not, you will not shaft anybody, that if you have a client, you're going to make sure it works then you can go out without having everything in place and put a deal together and move forward because you have the integrity to make sure you see through. So just rely on that and things will fall into place as they go. But you got to get cash flow up. You got to keep cash flow up and, and then you can build your infrastructure as you go. You know, I like to say it's not quite this bad, but you also you almost have to have the attitude is I'm going to jump off the cliff and I'm going to build the plane on the way down. But uh, you almost need that kind of focus, <laughs> although I don't advise that. Yeah. Well, nothing will focus you more yes. than jumping off it. <laughs> the impending <laughs> ground as you're plummeting. Right. It's a sudden stop at the bottom. Yep. All right. Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm sure that uh, uh, the audience uh, that tunes in has learned a lot from you. Thank you for joining us and being our well, guest. Well, Les, let me let me first thank you. You know, I had the privilege of working with you for what 15 years, 16, I think. Yeah. And uh, you were a guide, you were a counselor, you were you were my uh, confidant, and you provided a tremendous guidance. That's the other thing I would tell people. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Nobody knows everything. So don't be afraid to get advice and counsel from people that have been there and done it. And and even in different industries, it doesn't matter. You just want to get their wisdom. And unless you were a fountain of wisdom over those years, and it meant a lot to me, and it's really helped me out professionally, and I want you to know that, that you've had a major impact on my life, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care, my friend. Okay. This has been On Deck with Les Deck. Thanks for listening. In each episode, we uncover wisdom you can use to grow your business. If you want to learn more about leadership team coaching, visit us on the web at lesdeck.com. If you have questions or anything else you want to say, email us at les at lesdeckconsulting.com. Don't forget to click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. This is a Les Deck production. Thank you.